Space. The final frontier. Well, okay, not, not really. All right, uh, take two, take two. Here in the Mitten State, welcome to Code 47, bringing you all things Star Trek, spanning the quadrants, the best thing since the neutral zone. And we are back again. Welcome to the Code 47 podcast on the Secret Friends Unite podcasting network, episode number 78. Lucky number 78. Sure, why not? Uh, but I'm joined, as always, by my stalwart co-companions, Mr. Peter Stein. Hey, everybody. And Katie Q, how are you? I'm good. How are you, Charlie? I'm doing well. I, of course, am Charlie Carden, Trek Lord of West Michigan, captain of the USS Grand Petoskey, of which Katie is now a member. She is our underperforming soon-to-be ensign. Yep, I'm going to really Beckett Mariner this stuff. <laughs> she's going to Beckett Mariner. Lower yeah, she's decks. Lower, lower decks. decks. Lower decks. Lower decks. That's where and speak and speak of the devil, so to speak. <laughs> that is that is what we're talking about today. Uh, Katie has been joining us um, to talk about. Uh, new programming, but we're doing a little ramp up uh, on uh, the 25th of August, the month that we're in. Uh, we're going to be finally getting season three of Lower Decks, but we thought what better way for our listeners to uh, really get prepared is to hear our thoughts again about Lower Decks. And uh, Lower Decks, when Katie and I started working together, she said, I love it. I want you to love it. I can tell you don't love it the way you used to. So, you know, we had a we had a rundown with the heels and feels, which just really tr was very transformative of the way and that I, I feel am about it. Very, very thankful to Katie for doing that. Because yes. I just didn't have I was just like, oh, Charlie doesn't like lower decks. Oh. I just, I just I never understood it because I would watch it and I would laugh my butt off and I'd be like, how does Charlie not like this show? Just how I does just, it not? I'm like, I know Charlie enough to know his sense of humor and this is such his sense of humor. It, it was so weird because I really did enjoy the first season and then it came around that I was I was recording the show with some other folks who really hated season two and I just I just got I got colored uh, by their their vibe and it just kind of threw me off the mark. But anyway, we will get into that shortly. But uh, as sometimes happens, we have news to report, and unfortunately, it's not great news. Um, we talked on SFU Prime uh, last week uh, about the passing of Nichelle Nichols, our very own Nyota Uhura, the original Nyota Uhura, who, who left us a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I have seen her role uh, in her character uh, as described as the most important in franchise history, and I, and I know I have to agree. Who broke more barriers than the character of Lieutenant Uhura? I, I name me that there, there would even be there would even be a distant second. I, I can't even imagine. Yeah, I, I I cannot even begin to say. And I I think what I am like I am both saddened but also grateful that the um, actor who currently plays Uhura really got a chance to delve into the character with Nichols and you know, talk about what an inspiration she was for her interpretation of the character. And so like, I guess small silver lining is that she was able to be around to see her character be kind of re-honored and see how it was going to be cast again and the respect that would still be given to that character, especially with how much of an impact she was in the Star Trek universe and just in, in film and television overall. Right. Oh, totally. 
totally. And oh even my goodness. In, like the history of space travel with getting yeah. women. Right. Yeah. If, 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 NASA if, more, so, you know. if, yeah, mm-hmm. if you've not seen and it's on Paramount Plus, which listeners probably have, if they are current with Star Trek, uh, the Women in Motion DACO that came out, it was either late last year or early this year, all about Michelle Nichols' role uh, in working with NASA um, in the 1970s, I think, particularly in the 1980s on, is just, it's awesome. Go watch it. Now, actually, we did do a breakdown of that back in the day uh, when that did come out. So scroll back through your episodes of Code 47 and you'll find that. Mm-hmm. But uh, anyway, on uh, on another sad note, we did lose uh, two TNG slash TOS movie actors. The great David Warner left us a couple of weeks ago. David Warner uh, was a British character actor who's been he's he's a that guy who's been in a lot of great stuff, including Time Bandits, which was a very pivotal role of my youth he was he played uh he played evil uh and if you've not seen that movie katie is this one mystifying you i know oxford and i throw out a lot of weird <laughs> movies you've never heard of oh no. yeah no I, I have not seen this one no okay, gotcha. well, that that one i would recommend overseeing clerks which i know you've refused to see and i respect <laughs> that um but we got uh we got david warner in star trek five as saint john talbot he was one of the one of the ambassadors who got kidnapped and kind of drove the early plot line of that movie one of the bright spots of that film quite frankly and then uh, most notably uh, the the role of gull madred who was Cards, uh, Kardashian torture, Mister. There are five lights uh, in season six's two-part chain of command. Um, Chancellor Gorkon and why do I forget that one? Oh my goodness! (laughs) Yeah, the the Klingon uh, Chancellor who essentially lobbied for peace uh, and died for it in that film. Sorry about the spoiler from 1991. Uh, But anyway, amazing actor who did a lot of amazing, great stuff. Uh, Secondly, Paul Sorvino who was the most, I think, famous in his career for playing kind of mobster guy heavies in a lot of mobster movies, but was also uh, in an episode, late episode, late series episode of TNG was Worf's foster brother, Nikolai Roshenko. He was a, uh, was an anthropologist? Was that the role I'm thinking of, uh, Peter? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, kind of a social anthropologist. So, yes, yeah, so we did get the classic, unfortunately, uh, trinity of celebrity deaths. They'll just happen to be Star Trek in this regard. So uh, we wish them well on their journey to the great beyond. So with that, unless there are any further thoughts about gloom and doom, uh, let's move on to something fun and exciting. So, yes, we're talking about Lower Decks Season 1. Who wants to read this wonderful recap? I say Peter. All right. Season one of Lower Decks, the first season of the American animated series Lower Decks, follows the various missions, and I'm going to say misadventures, of the Lower Deckers. <laughs> Low-ranking officers Lower with Deckers. menial jobs on the USS Cerritos, one of Starfleet's least important stuff. <laughs> oh, that's so mean. Don't disrespect the Cali class. Come on. That's so mean. It's rude. Rude. <laughs> I don't like it. <laughs> It's mildly. I mean, it's it, It's on brand. Okay. Oh, yeah. It, it, very much on brand for this year. The Cali no, class no. is the lower decks of Starfleet. Let's be real. Yeah. <laughs> right, exactly. Oh, it's basically keep... TNG Miranda. Just... Ooh. <laughs> old, old school and dusty. It's like, yeah, dust off the old model. Psh, psh, psh. So anyway, <laughs> please continue. Of the whole thing? Uh, okay. No, no, not the whole thing. Scrap it. Okay. I'm just going to say, <laughs> I mean, there's actors in it. Yeah, great. I was say we can jump forward and just say the season premiered on streaming and CBS Service All Access, and it ran um, for on, ten episodes. Yeah, it ran for ten episodes. Uh, October tenth. <laughs> all right, 
Very good. I love it. Look, look at how succinctly we did that. Okay, let's start at least with episode one. What did you feel? Now, did everybody watch this when it came out? I think I watched it a week after it came out or something. Yeah. I didn't watch it. it like was, I was pretty close. Yeah, yeah. I was pretty okay. close to when it came out. So we're all pretty much, you know, from the jump. We've been watching this the whole time. We didn't catch up. Oh, yeah. Around, so, okay, cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So first impressions of the first, even the first act of the first. So the first episode. act made me a little confused, not mm-hmm. story wise, but um, because I had known who was making it, mm-hmm. um, the guys who do Rick and Morty, Rick and Morty's not really my cup of tea. Same. Um, like, mm-hmm. I, I enjoy stupid humor, but I can handle it in, like, doses, not when it's constant. Uh, right. And so I was like, okay, I don't know how this is going to go. And so the first act, you know, they're acting all goofy and Mariner chops. <laughs> chops, like, half of right. die off. Right. Anna, give me Anna. Yeah, right. And I was oh. like, huh, okay. But then the opening credits rolled, and I was like, Man, as silly as the like shots that they're doing in this are, they yeah. managed to do a proper Star Trek opening credit line, right? Like ship shots and the names and all, and like the sort of Jerry Goldsmith style music. And I was right, like, exactly. okay, you got me right now because right. like an opening credits, at least for me, that's a great moment. Well, right. and I think the opening credits they did a great job of really showing like what it was of we are going to take this seriously in the fact that it is stupid like because you have (laughs) these beautiful like it's flying past yeah it's flying past the black hole and it gets like yeah like gets sucked like and they were saying you know we are going to be making fun of ourselves this entire time yeah so the nice thing is they they kept bringing like old star trek stuff yes and so it's like hey we know what we're doing we respect what came before but we're going to poke fun at it because we know that that's what we're about here. Right. It felt very much of it was made by the fans that absolutely love Star Trek. And part of what they love is the absurdity that Star Trek brings sometimes. Yeah, they they right. embrace what I call to, to, for Star Trek to like truly be great Star Trek, especially when it's like making fun of stuff is to be self-aware and aware mm-hmm. and embrace its own campiness. Yes. Star Trek has always been campy. Even if mm-hmm. someone's going to point it like, Hey, that's a great episode. There's always some camp in there. Yeah. Why is there blah, blah, blah. And you guys coined the name of this episode. It's seriously stupid. Boom. Yes. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and, yeah. Oh. I I felt that very much that way of the opening because you have, you know, um, Boimler like making his his captain's log yeah. <laughs> in right. the, you know, in the closet. And you have that moment where it pauses the animation and it goes, yeah, but we don't do that. Here. And everybody's like, like, it's just the worst <laughs> point to pause. And you're like, OK, you have your entire senior officer staff. You're introducing them as morons like this nope. is the worst way to introduce them there is obviously there is you know not necessarily there's no respect but they are very human type mm-hmm. or you're humanized or um humanized characters at that right, point right 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 and oh my goodness yeah i i would say that i definitely felt the same kind of hesitation because i love aspects of rick and morty like i i love the kind of or I guess I should say the stuff I don't like about Rick and Morty is usually like the gratuitous violence or just the disgusting stuff that happens a lot. So I was a little bit apprehensive as well. But when you have Mariner showing up and she's obviously drunk and she's like talking about the Romulan ale and she goes, you know, you think it'd be green, but it's actually this really beautiful, like blue color. It's really quite captivating. Like that's the line <laughs> that got me hooked because it was such an absurd aside 
that I was like, okay, yeah. this is like this is very clever with the way they're doing their humor. Yeah. Like right, they, right, they and and, like poke and, it's and what an introduction yeah. too, because yeah, you're right. Like, uh, oh, it's this big captain's log, blah blah blah, and the, and then the record needle scratching says, well, you know, we don't really do that. We're basically doing the mop up, and he's saying everything, but we're running it. It's like it makes it sound like the Kelly class is like the production assistant of the Star Trek line. We're yeah. getting yeah. coffee, we're doing this, and then yeah, for. Mariner's introduction to be, you know, drunk and talking about contraband and, you know, waving around a, a bat lift like a, a crazy bat, person. A bat, I don't know. I'm not a scientist. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So it's just like, yeah, it's like buckle, buckle up, buttercup. This is yeah, uh, hilariously kidding. like a running joke in there is like, like later where it's like, oh, I know that this isn't a real reality because if truly something like this was going wrong, they'd send the Enterprise. Like that joke comes up all <laughs> yes. the time. <laughs> yes. Right. Oh my goodness. All right. So, well, cool. Okay. So that's that, that's how we're up and rolling with season one uh, or even act one. You know, we then get a quickie introduction uh, to Eugene Cordero's character of Rutherford. We get Noel Wells as uh, the very bright-eyed Orion, you know, you know, there are some Orions who have been pirates who have given up piracy for almost five years. Yes, <laughs> great representation of her of her race. Um, but you know, it's funny because in a in a cast of secondary characters who are primary characters, your secondary characters are who you would expect to be the the primaries. But yeah, most of them are pretty obnoxious jack ransom is pretty obnoxious oh but in no. such the best way like I he, know. Is, he is I all know. of the horrible horrible qualities of Riker and tom right it just and, wrapped and, up and, into a beautiful yeah. little nugget of stupidity that you just that's just fantastic right any chance to rip his shirt off you oh know? yes <laughs> yeah so he's the he's the he's the kirk paris Riker salad Mm-hmm. That could be the name of the episode too, um, <laughs> but uh, it's, it's like and I love Doctor Doctor Tana has to be my and then again I put some other notes in here, but I think she's my kind of favorite character of the set. You know, if we were to pick second like favorite characters from the first year and the second year, she's probably my favorite. Even though I got mm-hmm. to, I got to obviously be on stage with and meet. Um, Jerry O'Connell and Jack Quaid when I was at Mission Chicago back in April, which was awesome in my signed Tom Parrish plate. But Dr. Tahana, that's actress uh, Jillian Vigman, who I've seen in a lot of stuff always. I just, I love her and I love that character. And my favorite line that I could, that has least come to mind that Mariner says about her is, since when do cats eat nachos? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> I can't deal with, with yeah, I can't deal with thinking about it, you know, and just other things that we see out of her, you know, in later in season two with the the, the you know box. the statue and the with box, the box. And, well, you know, or the the fact that they have her make cat noise, like she meows, but it's very obvious that it's just a person meowing and it's not <laughs> yeah. a cat meow. Where they'll just be like meow, and I'm right. like, what meow? <laughs> oh my god. Oh, so I mean that is you know so. All right, so how about you guys? That's my favorite second tier character. My my favorite first tier. I I can't pick between the two obvious choices, which would be Beckett uh, or uh, I love Bradward. I looked it up. I'm like, is Bradward a real name? Yeah. Something. <laughs> and they said maybe not, but it's somehow a combination of of Brad and Edward. I love it. You know what? It just shows that things are very future thinking. You know, in the future, we'll have a Brad word. Um, yeah, I can't necessarily choose. I would probably pick well, I mean, her. So, like Rutherford's name is also like Samantha. 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 
Samantha right. and Rutherford. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Um, which is, is it, it doesn't quite sound alien, but it does sound like the way names evolve and people spell things differently. And well, it's like you. Jimothy. Jimothy's a name now. <laughs> Jimothy oh, Cricket. <laughs> Aaron. So, um, all right. So, uh, so okay. So, I'd pick her as my first tier. I'd probably, obviously, pick the Doctor as my second tier. What about you guys? If you were to pick a a favorite first and second tier, Uh, Katie. Oh, that's okay. Well, Tendi would probably be my favorite first tier, just because I I relate to Tendi. Just the Mm -hmm. naive optimism that she has, and just like when she gets called like the queen of the celestial winter or something in the second season, when you find out that she's this like ultimate, ba- I'm like, I need more backstory for Tendi. Right. This has to be, I need, I need to know more. She used to be um, a badass pirate that everyone yeah. <laughs> There are some who have been not pirates for upwards of Almost five years. Five years. Yes. <laughs> yeah. um, but I think that definitely um, Dr. Tahana and then, um, Oh, who is the, the security officer? Jax. Yeah. Jax. Those two Jax. are probably, yeah, Shax. Those two are probably Jax. like combo my favorite just because there's so many times when, sh- like, especially their relationship, but Shax mm-hmm. makes me laugh when he's like, please let me blow something up. I have been very good this week. Yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> we are actually going to potentially have a Shax uh, in cosplay form come uh, Grand Rapids Comic Con. Uh, you guys know Joffrey. He's big on our staff, and he's a cosplayer, and he's been he's been in the league, and he's in the G.I. Joe, but uh, I'm placing that, that next Cosmart order, and he wanted a yellow uniform, and then I kind of walked him through, uh, you know, the Bajoran Ridge nose and the earring and stuff, so we may have it, so mm-hmm. we might have some cool surprises, but yeah, that's a that's a fun character, and yeah, he, he dies at the end of the season, and then I don't want to spoil anything for season two, but we get him back, and it's it's, <laughs> it's this very tongue in cheek, like, well, I just can't talk about what happened, and da 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 da. And then but, he tells Rutherford, and it's a lot. Yes, right. well, but also his relationship with Rutherford is so endearing with the fact that he calls him Baby Bear, Baby and Bear. yeah, and it's just he's you've got this like big monster. I mean, first off, the fact that he's Bajoran and he's just this like kind of like aggressive, almost war monster. Yeah. yeah, like you'd yeah. think he'd be Klingon, but he's not. Right. Um, and then the fact that he also is just very caring and compassionate. Passionate and like the like way the, that he just takes care of his whole, entire like, supportive crew. thing of Rutherford was hilarious. He's like, that mm-hmm. episode so, uh, was I don't so know great. that I want to stay in security. That is great. Yes. <laughs> you, gotta be, you gotta be true to yourself. Yeah, that, that whole episode in which I guess we go back to the, the titles. That was that was a real stand-up for me. Which which episode was that one? It was, uh, it was two or three, wasn't it? He was trying I to figure out what he think? was gonna do with himself. I'm skimming. I'm skimming. Do, 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 do. Or maybe that yes, was that's that's the second one. That's um, yeah. Envoys. Yeah. Envoys. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, okay. That's what. Because yeah. I was I was and I was trying to mash that one in with the, the romance episode with Boimler and his girlfriend Barbara. <laughs> <laughs> that was also really funny. Oh my gosh! So before we move on to talk about episodes proper, uh, Peter, what are what are your first tier, oh, second tier favorites? Um, that's a tough one actually, because um, they kind of. Like all the different characters grow on you as the time as the as the episodes go on. Yeah. Um, in terms of the bridge crew, Shax. Shax is yeah. He's the guy. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, uh, Freeman does grow on you a bit, but Shax is one right. of my favorite. But it's for me, it's 
I, I like all four of the main cast is the is the problem. They're right. all very fantastic. Right, yeah. right. And, and and in different aspects, so they don't mm-hmm. kind of blob together like maybe the yeah. TNG cast where you're like, oh, there's Jordy, whatever, and then you know, there's Riker, whatever. But yeah, they're all very it's like they're they're they fill the four quadrants they up. They all like kind of complement each other very well and like what they do and like the way that Rutherford and Tendy work together and they're both really like hyper excited about everything <laughs> like, oh, exactly. i stole some tea for 88s <laughs> guess what i stole some for you too this is yeah. why we're friends <laughs> oh, i know oh my goodness it's just great um, all right oh my goodness i mean if i had to pick one it might be rutherford Oh yeah, that was he's and he's so great. And again, you know, we we have uh, before we really get into talking about episodes, we do have a great ten episode arc where we end on a cliffhanger of sorts. You know, there are some stakes in it that you know, in a typical fashion, get resolved in, in the, the next episode uh, of the next season, and that obviously happens at the end of season two, uh, which we'll talk about as well. But um, to wrap things up, because we're kind of nearing the nearing the the clock of our time here, um, let's have a favorite episode and one that maybe you could have done without katie go for it i feel like this is the um strange new worlds problem all over again because i loved all of these episodes mm-hmm. and so just say like i have a like i could do without one i don't want to do without any one of them and i think I, that's my that's my trouble <laughs> I, I can't disagree and so we'll, we'll put a strike through that that's fine by me all right <laughs> but you do have to pick a favorite I, I say, I think um, my favorite would be, um, which one is it? It's, um, is it um, Much to Do About Boimler? Is that the one where, or no, is that the one where he gets, yeah, that's the farm. Just because the dog, yeah. yes, just because the dog oh, is in it. Dog, dog the dog. And, and, oh. well, and no, and it's the it's dog. The dog, the dog. Yeah, Her name the dog, is the dog. The dog. And my favorite part is just Tendi not understanding what a dog is and her right. telling at the end, as the dog is literally walking in the sky away from her with her little ears flapping as wings. I don't even know. And Tendi just yells, you are a freak. And she goes, I know. I just didn't want you to worry. Really? Oh. <laughs> and it's like, it's the, just the dog is my favorite part of probably the entire first season. Oh yeah. my gosh. I, I totally agree. I'm going to go with episode nine, uh, Crisis Point. Point yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. The, 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 the Mariner's really, really screwed up pirate holodeck episode uh, therapy session was fantastic. You know, and it was, oh, it's, yes. it's, yeah. she was so fired up killing people and shooting this and that. And that, that even her friends were like, you are, you know, it was, I think it was 10 yeah. years ago. You were just way too into this. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was good. But yeah, that was the one at the end uh, where even the holodeck episodes uh, finally, the how their proceedings give gives way to the fact that the the best kept secret in the series so far, which was that Beckett is the captain's daughter, uh, and so it's something that was known to Boimler, and then it really bleeds into the season finale, which. Yep. The season finale was fantastic for me because we got the Titan finally made canon. Uh, it was it was a ship created uh, on, mm-hmm. on a cover blurb after Star Trek Nemesis, um, but this actually finally made a captain. We got Riker back, who is you know my number one favorite Star Trek character of all time. And that, but they really they really you know I gotta even say the last you know seven to probably five five to seven minutes of the season finale were my favorite because we got that and then we got all the interplay when they were in the bar afterwards of um 
ransom Freeman as his Chadich. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Ransom talking to Troy. And then she says, Jack, I really sense that, you know, I I can't remember what she said, but just kind of poking holes in them. And basically like you're sad and lonely. Yeah. They work with that. Your vibrato (laughs) compensates for your ineptitudes and insecurities and insecurities. Yes. I'm usually the one who knocks out dialogue, so I'm 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 humbled. Um, all right, let's uh, Peter take us home. Um, well, you kind of stole my thunder because those are kind of my two favorite episodes too. Um, sure, they are. Particularly for different reasons. <laughs> wait, wait, uh, we have to take a moment. Do we agree on something, Peter? <laughs> This is a rarity for us. (laughs) Ying and the Yang have gone clunk. Oh my gosh. Hey, every once in a while it happens. Every once in a while. Well, yeah. Crisis Point and and the finale are like my favorites. Um, Partially because Crisis Point just like it makes fun of all of the movies. Mm -hmm. Like every single one of them gets roasted. Like (laughs) the, the whole like, like they make absolute murder of the space dock scene from any of the movies where they do that. Like you can clearly tell they are murdering motion picture and, and mm-hmm. Rathcon, but then also just eviscerating star Trek 09 for its lights. And it's just mm-hmm. hysterical. Um, oh my god! And then like they add like the TV grain and the, like the hairs and the little dots and like, right. And when you step into the holodeck, it becomes widescreen format and Tendi mm-hmm. steps out and it goes back to different format <laughs> oh and my gosh. through the door as she's standing out. So you're still full format. She's looking through the holodeck door and you see the black bar. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, oh, I just will never forget. Yeah. The old pan and scan versus widescreen in the VHS days. Like, Oh, well, did you mm-hmm. get it? in? did you get it? I didn't pay. You just got, Oh, you got it in pan and scan. What are you talking about? Mm-hmm. I, I like to say about the star Trek movies. I've always maintained that there is always something to love about all of them. And there's something oh, to yeah. hate about all of them until you get to nemesis, which is totally worthless. No, I mean, this is, <laughs> you know, and, and the three of us are going to do a send up of nemesis in a few weeks here. I think uh, as we get into the fall, I have that on the schedule. Um, yeah. And I've, I've done, I've done, I, I guessed it on someone's podcast a long time ago when we just talked about nemesis and I just give me a shovel and I'll dig and see if I can find something good to say about that movie. But <laughs> yeah, th- that, yeah. Veritas, I was agreeing with you would say that there's, there's something in that that highlights both of those that I probably have to watch it again because you're talking about pan and scan and stuff that that, that I missed mm-hmm. got me yeah, there. I, that's the thing is I just I look at details. That's just yes. what I do. Well, and also there's the heart that comes with oh, yeah. these, and that's the underlying. I think you know, like you were saying, these characters, the core characters, they all fill such a wonderful role and are so fully fledged out that you love all of them. And then you have this really beautiful, impactful moment that's really tragic of when Shaq sacrifices himself for. Yeah, but, um, but they do. They don't. They don't exactly play it for laughs. They do a little. No, bit, it's but very. Like, but they let him be like, you know, he saves Rutherford, and then yeah. he's just like. And it's he like, does it very true to his up. character where he's like, yeah, he's like screaming and triumphant as like things are blowing up. And you can tell that like <laughs> if he was going to go out, this would be the way that he wants to right. go. And, yeah. You know, and you have like the the climaxing jokes with uh, with Badgie. And so there's a oh, lot of bad. humor around <laughs> it. We never but... talked about Badgie. Oh, my God. OK. All right. <laughs> Please continue. Yeah. But I mean, I remember like feeling like that was a real gut punch for me because I loved Shaq so much. And I was like oh my gosh that's horrible but 
like it again it was way more impactful than which felt stupid like on this little animated goofy tv show of feeling so much loss for a character when you're watching like tng and stuff and like you know tasha dies and you're like that felt stupid <laughs> Tasha, I mean, dies, it, Tasha dies and very conveniently had her own eulogy hologram for everybody to hang out yeah I mean and again this felt very much like almost a joke to that where they're all having like a hologram funeral afterwards <laughs> oh, oh better than a hologram that, wake oh my god it was a great yeah. one where like that that's where they waited to do the joke where they like they have his like really yes. insane face yes and then and the, like and so it helped like recapture <laughs> oh the God. humor of it but the pacing on it was absolutely perfection but oh yes also God. badgie oh my badgie. god we could go we could go on and on about badgie we get badgie again in season two right yes oh good we'll get we'll give ourselves permission to talk about badgie in the next a hot episode. minute i don't remember maybe oh my we, god maybe we don't I don't but know i feel like we get badgie oh my god oh my god Time for the research drones. Oh my god, I'm going to have to go back and watch episodes nine and ten. I mean, we'll again. have to, yeah, yeah, we'll have to just bring Badgie back into yeah. season two, even if we don't, even if he's not there. We're gonna, we're gonna take say. All right, well, let's wrap it up with this. Uh, give me lower decks season one in one sentence. Peter, go ahead. Respectful zaniness. Katie. Um. Oh. Uh heartfelt stupidity and i will echo the name of the episode it's serious it's seriously stupid yep oh my god so all right we will be back in the next episode uh to talk about season two and to get you really completely prepared uh for season three katie as always thank you for joining us where do people find you out there on the socials um, you can find me on twitter on qt geek and then you can find me on instagram at quintessential geek All right. Okay, faithful listeners, hold your breath. Peter and I will be back in a moment, and we will see Katie next week. Bye, y'all. Bye. All right, back from break. And it was a break for us, but it wasn't a break for you. Uh Um, But, yeah, we are uh, starting a new series, and this is the first occasion uh, that we have reached the end of a show because we have done uh, season three. Although I uh, suppose the end of the animated series might count. Yeah, that's true. It, it was so long ago, and I, was, I, was, I wasn't recording with you. I was recording with your predecessor. So you're right. My brain kind of turns that off. I'll, I and, mean, the animated series is kind of in pseudo-whatever land. But. Yeah, it's, always, it's funny. The animated series Gene Roddenberry always said, and that would have technically been a successor to what we're, the season we're going to talk about here. Um, Gene Roddenberry himself said he didn't consider it to be canon. So there's definitely a gray area in so much that, yes, that is what Gene Roddenberry said many years ago, but we've seen pieces of the animated series, and this is funny, that's what we talked about at our panel uh, at Kogan Con, myself and April and Lori, uh, a few weeks ago, uh, where we were talking about Star Trek and animation. We'll probably do that same panel again uh, come Grand Rapids Comic Con, in which case Peter would love to have you join us uh, for yeah. that, because they always give us a panel slot. But um, but yeah, it, we've done seasons one and seasons two of all all of the series so far um but yeah this is this is the end of season three of the original series so we're starting our our season three final season the season that came back because of a letter writing campaign right well that was yeah and that was season you know and again i don't have all of the original uh you know 
analysis of it. But I, I, I've always said Star Trek is the show that got canceled three times and the third time it stuck. Um, yep. But I know I know that they, this show was brought back because of a letter writing campaign. Uh, but the people uh, at NBC said, well, we're bringing it back, but uh, we're going to we're going to just trash their budget and we're going to stick them in the death spot uh, at 10 p.m. on Friday. And this was, again, in the yep. late 1960s. There were no VCRs. There were no DVRs. Nothing was streaming. So leave it and wait it for tomorrow. You either watched it or it did not exist because it was out there in the airwaves, and then you waited till the summertime when there were reruns. So, um, and I know, and again, I, I read this not that long ago, but I know there was after the show was canceled in the summer of 1969, uh, there was a change in the way Nielsen ratings were calculated. They went back through and cranked through the numbers of the Nielsen ratings of all three seasons of Star Trek. And it was one of the most popular shows of all time. <laughs> Retroactively. Yeah, I know. And then, you know, the show went on to its, you know, its success in the early 1970s in syndication. It became an enormous success because it was on in, in many markets across the country and around the world uh, at more favorable times. You know, you'd watch it after the six o'clock news and or, you know, people, you know, just like that scene in Back to the Future where dad wheels the TV into the dining room. People watched it as they were eating dinner. So it became uh, the yep. pantheon of success that 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 led to the entire birth it's, of an actual and franchise. Star Trek, the original series, is still on reruns. It's just usually now back at 10 and 11. Exactly. On MeTV, which all the people who were watching it in the 60s who are in their 70s, like my parents, would, wa- would watch things. But anyway... We've gotten on a tangent without getting on a tangent, but we are talking about the first part of four of breaking down the final season of Star Trek, the original series. So um, one of the most infamous, infamous or infamous uh, episodes of the series kicked this one off. Peter, go ahead. Yeah. So imagine you've been a year without Star Trek and you made sure that it came back and then you get this Spock's brain written by Mark Daniels. (laughs) Well, actually, directed by Mark Daniels, written by Gene L. Kuhn, who is one of the producers, I think. Yeah, uh, exactly. Aired, aired on September 20th, 1968. Briefest description, Captain Kirk pursues aliens who have stolen Spock's brain to power a computer. I don't even really know what else you can say about it. Uh- <laughs> Now, this Aside is- from the fact that it has some really, really stupid, like, the women are airheads living underground with a computer that no one knows how to work, and right. the men are dumb as rocks cavemen on the surface. With, with literal makes, rocks. It makes no sense. I mean, you roll in so many Star Trek tropes into this one episode. You've got terrible sets. Uh, which we, was it the morgue and the e-morgue? Yeah, the, the morgues two, and the i-morgues. Yep. Yeah, the morgues and the i-morgues. Thanks. So it kind of reminds you, and maybe I was thinking of the, the time machine, what, what were the, the Morlocks. So I guess yeah. my brain kind of mixed all those in together. But you've got the two societies that are split, which I think we get that in, in other Star Treks. I know they it's did happened it in, in a bunch of other. Yeah, episodes. I know that. I know they did it at the end of Voyager with there was a species living under a dome, and then the dome came down. And so it was the same kind of thing. Um, but yeah, you've got a computer that's running everything that nobody knows how to fix. Kirk talks. I don't even need to remember rewatching the episode to know that Kirk must talk it to death. And that's how they get Spock. Well, actually, no, he doesn't talk oh, it to death okay. because the computer becomes Spock. So Spock right. is the computer when they get there. So it's just they like, hey, Spock, do you know how to put yourself back together? It's like, 
well, the information's in here, but I need to stick it in Dr. McCoy's brain. So stick right. Dr. McCoy over on this, you know, hair dryer or whatever. It was. Like it was from a hair salon, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> like stick it over his head. It's like, right. now McCoy knows how to do it. Okay. 20 and minutes. Like gets like halfway through. It's like, I've forgotten how to do it. Put him back then, in. And then Spock, like you, you, you attached my vocal neurons. So now I can talk you through. It's like, Oh, this is so dumb, but it does have one of the most memed moments of Jim. His brain is gone. Right. Oh yeah, exactly. Oh, it, it, it has so many applications. It's, it's amazing. Um, so yeah, it's, again, we had, and again, Mark Daniels and Gene L. Kuhn are you know, producer, writing staff, showrunner. Like they didn't get, you know, you know, Tom, Dick and Harry off the street to do no, this. Veterans to do it. Yeah. This is a stinker. But it, yeah, but it still crashes. You know what I mean? So yeah, it's you know it's it, it's a classic send up to nothing but tropes, poorly executed. Um, obviously, how we watch them now is the 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 fortieth anniversary, the two thousand and seven remastering, where they they redid all the opticals and it's really beautiful. But that doesn't it doesn't save the core story. Um, but no, going please. into this next episode, I think it really does help out. Uh, yeah. The next episode is the enterprise incident again, uh, directed by John uh, Meredith Lucas, again, heritage producer of the or director of the show and written by DC Fontana, who is the, you Probably know, if, the best writer on the, right. And you know, series. if, yeah, if, if Majel Barrett Roddenberry is the first lady of star Trek, DC Fontana would be the princess, you know what I mean? Just someone who had, yeah everything to do with the success of the series behind she, the scenes. She wrote some of the best scripts that they had. Like right. The and I think she went on, she contributed, I think, in the animated series. I think she was involved. Into early, early TNG. Early TNG, exactly, I was going to say. So anyway, uh, so yeah, uh, DC Fontana wrote it. We got this on September 27 of 1968. The, the, the crew of the Enterprise is t- attempts to steal a Romulan cloaking device and oh my god did this episode give shatner the opportunity to shatner up to his ultimate shattering he had some real oh, i still think oh, enemy within is the most he was just you know so the, the the whole beginning of the episode is a ruse kirk is acting erratically he orders the enterprise into the neutral zone crosses all the way over to the neutral zone so much so that the romulans pop in and they surround the enterprise and everybody on there is questioning, Kurt, what are you doing? Have you gone nuts? They, uh, they end up over on the Romulan ship. And uh, Spock applies the classic misnomer of the Vulcan death grip, which is not a thing. Um, but Kirk is able to then fake his death and then reveal he's on a secret mission. And he suits up as a Romulan and goes back. And then, yeah, they're just to steal the cloaking device. Now, while all, and then <clears throat> Spock has this pseudo romance with the female Romulan commander of the ship. Um, ultimately, while it's a great episode and it spawned a lot of non-canonical fan fiction of, well, maybe later on Spock had a child with a Romulan commander or this thing or that thing. The simple fact of the matter, what I don't get is they steal the cloaking device. And then they never seem to use it. And then it it never, and then we later find out that, uh, because of the treaty Treaty of Algeron, the treaty of Algeron, which they seem to reference, Back to being maybe in the Romulan Wars, which was 100 years before this. It, it's what buffers between Enterprise and this show. You know, maybe I, I would have to go back and look at Memory Alpha to really confirm this. But if the Treaty of Algernon prohibited the 
Starfleet from developing a cloaking device? Why did they go and steal it and then never use it? So really, in the the crux of twenty three eleven. Oh, okay. So that that so is it hasn't from, happened yet. Right. Again, yeah. the events of the Tomed incident. There, yeah, which led in the big break, 50-something years of the Romulans disappearing. Um, and they came back at the end of uh, season one of TNG. So, and thank you for that reminder, because it was kind of floating in my brain. I wasn't totally sure. So, <clears throat> let me see here. So, yeah, the, the whole episode, and again, this also gave us, uh, courtesy of budgetary uh, constraints, Reusing of the beautiful original Klingon D7 model as well, a shared piece of Romulan it technology. Wasn't just um, budget constraints. They they lost the Romulan ship. Oh, which it is just, it got destroyed, and so they couldn't is, rebuild yeah. it. Which is even funnier because obviously, with the opticals in this replaced, um, when the Enterprise is surrounded, it's surrounded by two of the D7s, or basically that, and then also a CGI. Yeah. Romulan Warbird. It brought so, back like the normal Romulan Warbird. Right, so. exactly. So, and I love, I mean, that's cool. And, and, and it kind of enhances the weird relationship between the Klingons and the Romulans. They were so close at one point, they were sharing technology. Then they became blood enemies for over 75 years, which is a line that Jordy said in uh, when the Klingon Romulan intrigue started to get really big in the middle of TNG in seasons three, four, mm-hmm. and five. Um, so you're, that's interesting, but again, ultimately the, the episode has no meat because the mission they go on bears no fruit. You know yeah, what I mean? I mean, in, in an in-universe context, it doesn't really do anything. But as an episode, it's a great episode. Agreed. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, but yeah, did they then you know, they passed off the cloaking device, which ultimately we end up seeing. I'm going to guess that they probably pass it off to the Starfleet Corps of Engineers, and then they got, you know, the 23rd century version of Barkley, and he broke it. I'm just going to say be. that happened. Yeah, kind of bum. The 23rd version, uh, well, the 23rd century version of Barclay, unfortunately, died was H. John Benjamin's uh, triple-making character, but he died. So it could have been him, but it wasn't. But, yes, yeah, so maybe it was his cousin. I don't know. The, the triple guy's cousin. There you go. Um, anyway, yes, great episode, but ultimately eh, kind of a one-off. So, anyway, okay, moving on. Episode three, it's all yours. Yeah, so then we, uh, we move from that to um, the Paradise Syndrome. Directed by Judd Taylor, written by Margaret Arman, aired October fourth, nineteen sixty-three. A mysterious alien device on a planet with a predominantly American Indian culture erases Captain Kirk's memory, and he begins a life with them as a member of their tribe known as Kirok. Right. Interesting for the, con- the concept of the episode right. is actually interesting. You know, the I, whole I, idea of the preservers, like they've been kind of floating right. around here for a little while, spawned a lot of interesting fan fiction. The Shatner verse books are heavily involved with the preservers. Right. Um, right. Like the preservers um, are a really interesting idea, but, and, and I do have to say, I do like, even though his memory is wiped, I do like how, cause his personality isn't gone. It's still, Jim Kirk. Right. But Kirk settles down and has a family and actually loves um what's her name? Miramani or something? Uh, uh Miramani. Miramani. Yeah. Like like there's actually like something good there and you see him grieve her loss at the end. Right. Um so like there's some really really good Kirk moments in this episode, but overall it's just kind of like eh, 
I mean, I, what, what I liked about it is, A, this is one of the few location shoots that they did in the series at all. But it's oh, even... That's true, yeah. It's even more... And they had a great... I think I looked it up. It was It's one of the L.A. County parks or something. It was like a really well-known location where they shot it. But to think about the fact that they did what was obviously a very expensive location shoot in the super cash-strapped third season is really impressive. <clears throat> Do keep in mind that there were only 20 four episodes in this season. I, I know the first season had 30, maybe season two had 26. So this was the, I mean, yeah. they cut back the order. They've gone from 30 all the way down to 24. So they, they shaved a lot off. Um, I really like it too. And I like it really, even as it reminds me of kind of my fourth and fifth, uh, grade education about the American Southwest and Native American culture, mm-hmm. Indigenous people. So uh, you know, it, so I really liked this. I thought that, yeah. and it, it like it tries cool. like as the '60s. It's you know it has some iffy, but it, it tries to right. respectfully deal with Native American culture, like, right? Even even though I perfect, but it tries. All of your actors are basically Caucasians, painted brown, just not as brown as the Klingons, who are a, d- a deeper shade of brown. Um, yeah, the I really are aliens. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> But um, this episode greatly benefited from that 40th anniversary 2007 rehab of the optical effects with the Enterprise and the um, the, the meteor that's going to come crashing yep. into the planet. I think they did some really good stuff with that. So I would I would say you know I, I would highlight this as as a highlight of the early of basically this segment. Yeah. I, I would think Enterprise incident plus this were in a good spot, which is yeah. great because what comes next the next three is. Or- the, yeah, the next three. Well, the next two. I'm gonna I'm gonna stand behind yeah, them. Yes, yeah, the next one. The sixth one is fine. Yeah, but yeah, we'll we'll lump in talking about these next two. But yeah, episode four is yours, Peter, and just just hold your nose like this. Yeah, honestly, this one for me is a little bit more painful to watch than Spock's brain. To be Ooh. perfectly frank. Yeah, um, yeah, I'm right there. Anytime you involve child actors, ouch, especially in the '60s. Yeah, on mass. Yeah, but, but go for if, it. In case you don't know which one we're talking about, it is episode four, And the Children Shall Lead. Directed by Marvin Chomsky, written by Edward L. Lasco, aired October 11th, 1968. The crew of the Enterprise rescues a group of children stranded on a planet along with their evil imaginary friend. Oh my God. The less said about this episode, the better. You know, the character is – Triacus was the planet. I can't remember what they call it. I would best describe the evil imaginary friend is think about a jello mold in a moo-moo, but it's a guy who looks like a cab, a 60s cab driver. Use your yeah. imagination. Yeah, it was because he was glowing green, he was wearing a moo-moo, and he looked like your pervert uncle. I don't know. I, however yeah. you want to describe it. but He's just one of – I mean, oh, my God. I will tell you that two of the child actors, one was Phil Morris, who has been in absolutely everything, including later Star Trek. He was a Klingon. He was the uh, astronaut in Voyager who they found his uh, the, the Ares II, uh when oh, they found, found it in the Delta Quadrant. Uh, he had a great role on Seinfeld where he played the Johnny Cochran-like lawyer uh, for laughs. Uh, he was trainee Foster in Star Trek III. who was in the bridge saying, are they going to have a ceremony when we get in? That was him. And then the other actor, I think his name is, and again, I'm just riffing from memory, Brian Takamura, very briefly played uh, one of the rotating uh, ensigns at Khan in season four of TNG once Wesley was oh, gone. Cool. He was also one of the Ninja Turtles in the first Ninja Turtle movie in 1990. I, I don't remember oh. which. But yeah, interesting. So you had some. You had some. Te- the rest of the kids, who the hell knows? This episode, total loss. 
And again, Edward J. Lasko, yeah. you should be ashamed of yourself. But moving on uh, to episode five, uh, is there in truth no beauty? But I always I always script the name of that. Um, yeah, so uh, directed by Ralph Sineski, uh, written by Jean Linset Eros. Wow, I, I it's very French. I, it, yeah. Er, er, Eros or something to that effect. Very much. I like that. Uh, October of 1968, the Enterprise travels with an alien ambassador who must be inside a special case because his appearance causes insanity. And again, how do you call a Medusan a he? Mm, already dealing with pronoun issues in this episode. Um, notable. I, be- I believe that he that the Medusan does go by he in this episode. Okay. At least for convenience. Be, right. Very weird, but a lot to unpack there. Um, the Medusans are a character that we have in modern Star Trek parlance because there's a Medusan character in Star Trek Prodigy whose yeah. name I am forgetting. Is it, isn't it like X or XO or something like that? Yeah. But I, I actually quite liked how they did that because that's a deep dive for an episode that most people don't really remember. Exactly. So. Um, this episode is also extremely notable because it, this is the second of Here two appearances Diana of Diana Mulder, who later goes on to be uh, Dr. Catherine Plasky in season two of TNG, which Katie and I lampooned a little earlier this year. Katie's not a fan of Dr. Pulaski. I'll tell you that I right actually now. quite like Pulaski. You know, I'll say, uh, and, and I will say, and, and not that I'd like to speak for people, Katie, Katie kind of evolved the way she felt about Pulaski as the season went on, but initially was like, ugh. Yeah, I mean, we got you to like Lower Decks. Everyone's right, exactly. You know IDIC and always the evolution of thought, without a doubt. But this was a weird episode. So uh, kind of weird misnomers is they had a character named Larry Marvick early on who was described as one of the designers of the Enterprise, which makes no sense. The Enterprise had been in service for 20 years at this point. That guy looked like he was maybe in his 30s. So unless he was Wesley Crusher, I don't really think he designed the Enterprise. So that was bizarre. But again, that's all retconning. And it was a throwaway line that Scotty literally said to the guy as they were walking out of the transport room and the doors were closing. So it's kind of easy to ignore it. Um, but yeah, uh, Diana Muldar's character was Dr. Miranda something or other, uh, who was actually, you find out that she, throughout the course of the episode, that she's blind in her fancy, very 60s looking outfit, has little sensor eyes. So she's kind of like Daredevil. She can see that way. And that's how she can deal with the Medusa. Yeah, so she has like a normal like cloth dress and then she has like this net which is yeah, the exactly. That she she's kind of she's kind of like over on our Prime SFU show. She's kind of like Madame Web. There you go. She's the Madame Web of Star Trek. But yeah, Larry Marvick is crazy in love with her, and she rejects him. And then he ends up seeing the Medusa and going mad and flipping some dials and engineering and flinging the Enterprise into far flung space. And they need the Medusa's help to navigate back. So Spock has to talk to it or inhabits his body. I mean, I'm so lost on the details at this point because this episode was such a write-off that, like, again, when you have a guest writer who's some someone who maybe doesn't know how to ta- tackle Star Trek, I think this is – it reminds me of Star Trek Nemesis all over again. You just really don't know what you're going to get. Yeah. I, I mean, mean, what do you yeah. think? Yeah, overall, I didn't really care for this episode. Yeah, so I would tend to agree with you. Like, it's not bad. There's like, and in, in the sense that it's not awful. It's still trying to be a Star Trek episode. It's just not a really good one. Right. Um, True. <laughs> it's still trying. It's really trying. It's really, really trying. Um, but yeah, but wrapping things up, uh, episode six, 
is one that I enjoyed on a lot of different levels. And it's one of the ones I've rewatched. I had a VHS tape of it. Let's say that. Now we're talking 25 years ago when Star Trek, before, I think it transitioned, it was maybe in 1999, they transitioned to started putting them on DVDs. And you yeah. would get, get two episodes on a DVD. But prior to that, they were either An single episode of VHS tape. Yeah, it was, or if you got it from Columbia House, it was maybe two. Um, but yeah, this is one I know I had a VHS of. So anyway, the, yeah. Peter, this was this yours. one had my first Star Trek T-shirt was actually the uh, the lightning strike of them standing in a line from Ooh, this episode. Neat. So just them in like profile. It's, it's anyway. It's a cool. All show. right, it's falling. Go apart. for it. But so episode six, Spectre of the Gun. I love it. Um, directed by Vincent McEvity written by Gene L. Coon. See, he went from writing a stinker to actually a pretty good one. You know what? It, October people, 25th, 1968. People were doing so many drugs back in the 60s. I'm sure he had lots of highs and lows. This was yes. a high. Anyway. There are some episodes you wonder if they were smoking it while they were writing it. Right. Except, well, that, Potentially you know, Spock's brain. Yeah, I was going to say that's how the Beatles did some of their best work. But yeah. anyway, go ahead. So, for trespassing on an alien world, Captain Kirk and his companions are forced to reenact the famous shootout at the OK Corral. Pew, pew, pew. themselves cast as the losing side. So, Tombstone. Yay. Yay. Oh, my God, did I love this. Um, when I was a kid... Um, for spring break when I was maybe 10, my mom has some friends that lived out in Tucson, Arizona. So we took spring break out there. We went to old Tucson, which is obviously, trust me, they, they didn't film this. This was all filmed indoors because it was yeah. so, it was cheesy yet clever in its own way how they did the sets of this. Because again, <clears throat> for this interference, the Melcons is the race. And it was, yeah. they, they, re, they re, redid the opticals because the Melcon ship was a spinning like kite. Uh, like a rectangular kite, but they managed yep. to somehow make it a little bit better when they when they did when they re- recomposited the opticals or, or did it in CG. <clears throat> but the Melcons pulled from Kirk's brain the American, you know, the the ancient West, as it was called in that holiday episode in season six of um, with Worf and Alexander in uh, in TNG. Fistful of datas. Fistful of datas, which was again such a great episode. <laughs> Love that episode. Um, but uh, what was cool about this is that, yeah, the, the sets were very partial. You got a wall hanging here, you got a back wall over there, you got the bar in the And then you have like a picture frame suspended by fishing wire. Right, exactly. <laughs> on a wall. <laughs> so your explanation is well, we didn't have any, we spent all of our money when we did the Native American episode a couple of days back. So, and the, you know, and the in universe episode is hilarious. Exactly. Like, they're just like, yeah, so they created enough for us to like do it, but they don't right. really care about detail. <laughs> right, exactly. Which just absolutely worked in universe. But um, as I say, Trek is great when it embraces the camp. Right, right, and they did it in a way that was serious. Where over in Lower Decks, as we were talking about, they do it in a way that's not, but in some ways still has the same result, intentionally versus unintentionally. But I love this, and it feels like again with Star Trek being billed as a wagon train to the stars, this was a very literal, literal interpretation of this turning Star Trek into a Western, um, but still doing it in a very cool sci-fi way where, you know, your mind is a reality. Cause that's how they escape at the end. Uh, Cause obviously, uh, you know, throughout the course of the episode, uh, one of the villains shoots Chekhov and he dies, but it's really determined that your focus is your reality. And this, it's very midichlorians and use the force kind of scenario, because when they finally get to the shootout, 
Spock mind melds with the other three characters and said, the bolts are an illusion. This isn't really happening. And so when they're lined up, you know, the herbs are just blow, bang, 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 blown away. And you're seeing the fence behind them, all the squibs going off and, sh- and shots. Uh, and our guys are fine. And then you get the ultimate, one of Kirk's great later series, Kirk Fu moments. He jumps at the guy, knocks him down. And then the way he's punching at him, it's like two up and two chops and two this and that, knocks him over and, Shit, this, I, I, this was the greatest of the pack. I love this episode. I'm just 10 out of 10 for me because because of its reversal of the corniness, I think this is perfect Star Trek. Because every character was firing on all cinders. Scotty had some great one-liners. Spock did what Spock does best. Kirk does what he does best. Same thing with McCoy trying to solve things you know, from a medical standpoint when everything is an illusion. It was just, this was, of the six that we talked about, this one's my favorite. Yeah. It's a it's a good episode. I enjoy it. So, oh my goodness. So, um, so yeah. So that takes us through our six pack. So this one's my favorite. Which one was your favorite? Um, out of all of these, probably the Enterprise incident. Yeah, I, I like do. Romulans. I just do. I do. And and they got they got such little play in TOS because the quote was, "We can't afford all the ears." Where the Klingons were yeah, which cheap. Which is hysterical because then yeah. the Klingons became more expensive in TNG, and that's why you started right. seeing Romulans more. <laughs> right. We can do it. We have, the, we have the ears now. Okay, and then the obvious question is, what was the worst for me? I think you and I have the same answer. Yeah. Yeah. Just wow. And the children shall lead. Come on. Give me a friggin' break. Okay, well, we will be back on our next episode to take on uh, the next segment. But until then, Peter, take us away. For more information about Starfleet International, visit Grand Petoskey on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Oh, yeah. We are looking for a few good men, women, and various robots and androgynous beings, so come find us. Uh, Peter, where do people find you out there in the socials? You can find me on the internet at Petrus Aquinas on Twitter, Twitch, and basically anywhere <laughs> twitter twitching all right and you can of course find me over on twitter at the c3 spell it out uh, of course our main instagram or instagram account is uh our twitter account is at secret friends you we want to hear from you let us know what you thought about season three of tos are we totally off base did you really like and the children were lead and think yeah. we're all insane for thinking uh, it's garbage i want to get somebody to come out and uh, you know put your money where your mouth is let us know what you think about it yeah. um i also uh as i said april uh, my my wife April and I run the USS Grand Petoskey here in West Michigan. Drop us a line if you like to hear more about that. Uh, I also do try to put content on our SFU um, socials when I can uh, and Star Trek content and beyond. So uh, with that, friends, I'm going to tell you is always that sharing is caring and to keep on trekking. Peace and long life. This podcast is part of the Secret Friends Unite podcasting network. Visit SecretFriendsUnite.com for more great shows, articles, news, reviews, and more. Secret Friends Unite podcasts are available on Apple, Google, Spotify, and other podcast services around the world. If you'd like to be part of the conversation, you can join us on Facebook or our new Discord server. Or follow at SecretFriendsU on Twitter. Please subscribe to Secret Friends Unite on YouTube and visit our merch store at tpublic.com. Just search Secret Friends Unite. Thanks for listening.